You are listening to a message from the Living Word community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. Well, (coughs) good morning, everybody. (coughs) How are you all doing today? Uh, I must confess, (laughs) I'm a little little bit more nervous than I usually am. I haven't been up here in over a year. Uh, And I really have a lot in my heart that I want to share with you this morning. Uh, But before we begin, I'd like to share a really, really big praise. Late Friday afternoon, I got a telephone call from Jefferson Hospital. I had been, I had to go through an enormous amount of exams. It took me months actually to get through everything they wanted me to get through. And they said, we've gone over all your exams and we want to let you know you are officially reinstated on the transplant list. So, so it is going to happen. I don't know when, could be soon, could be a year from now, we don't know, but uh, I'm really glad for that news. It's really, thank you for your prayers and standing with me in that. Also this morning, I'm assuming that my daughter and my son-in-law and my two grandchildren are watching me on Zoom. (laughs) And my grandchildren will get to see an aspect of me they don't usually get to see. (laughs) So, What I want to do this morning, what I want to share to you this morning, share with you this morning is, might be a little bit delicate. It will be more delicate for some of you than it will be for others. But this is something that God has put on my heart. I've been meditating on this and praying about it and thinking about it for quite a while. And what I want to share this morning is, what I want us to meditate together this morning is fatherhood and sonship. Fatherhood and sonship. And I want us to, I have to apologize because we're going to (laughs) be, probably flipping around the Bible in a lot of different places, more more than I'm uh, used to. And I want to begin by reading in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. In verse 41, we'll read from Luke chapter 2, verse 41 and 52. And chapter 3, verses 21 to 23. 
Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And they began looking for him among the re their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at the <clears throat> understand, uh, understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, you have why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously seeking for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Don't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now in chapter three, <coughs> verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he was <coughs> praying, and as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son in whom I, in whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Let's pray together. <coughs> Father, we thank you that you have blessed us so much already this morning in this worship service. We pray now, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, encourage us. May we really understand your word in the most profound recesses of our hearts this morning. Lord, I confess that I have need of you. And I ask you, Lord, to guide my words, guide my thoughts for the edification of your body. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> there is somewhat of a revolution going on right now in Living Word. You all know about it, but I don't know if we really grasped <clears throat> the significance of it. And what I'm talking about, what I'm referring to, is the men's meeting. For quite a while now, some of the men have been <clears throat> coming together and meeting together, and it has really begun to revolutionize us. And it's not really, we really can't underestimate this. I also know that there are several men in the congregation who haven't taken part in the men's meeting,
And I want to encourage you to do that because it is really life-changing. Men are really beginning to bind together, to open up, to share, to heal, to encourage one another. And it's really an important time right now for Living Word, the men's meeting. Now, I have to apologize to all you beautiful young ladies sitting here this morning. I am sure you are going to be angry with me about what I'm going to say this morning. But, uh, <clears throat> but bear with me. You are important. You are essential to what I want to share this morning. One of the most difficult relationships that we can have in our life is our relationship with our Father, with our f carnal Father. Some of us have been really fortunate. We've had a good relationship with our fathers. Some of us have not. And I want to share <coughs> the essentials. At first, I just thought I would share on fatherhood. Then I thought, no, you really can't share on fatherhood without sharing on sonship, because we're all sons. And <coughs> before we dive into Luke, I want to refer us <coughs> to another important chapter about fatherhood in the Bible, in the Gospels, and that's the Gospel of John, chapters 13 and 14. We won't read it, I will just refer to it. There is an important event <clears throat> in the life of Jesus and the life of the apostles that happens in John 13 and John 14. Jesus, it's the last supper that Jesus has with his disciples. After supper, he gets up and takes a towel and washes the feet of the disciples. And Jesus goes into a really profound discourse with his disciples, really intimate. And he begins by saying, after supper and after he's washed the disciples' feet, he begins by saying, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And he goes on and he says, I'm going away, and where I'm going, you cannot come, but you will follow me later. And <clears throat> Peter pops right up, says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you right now. I'm ready to give my life for you. And Jesus says to him, Peter, the cock will not crow before you have denied me three times. And unfortunately, the people who put in the chapter divisions and the verses, which are not inspired by God, kind of put it, the, the, the division of chapter 13 and 14 in kind of a bad place. Because if we eliminate the stop and continue to read the first verses of chapter 14, you see, Peter, you are gonna not deny me three times but let not your heart be troubled. Now who could talk like that? 
but Jesus. Peter, you're going to deny me three times, but let not your heart be troubled. Luke does take this up, similar to this. We'll see in a minute. And he continues his discourse. I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And where I am, you shall come. And you know the way. And Thomas uh, pops up and says, Lord, if we don't know the way, uh, if we don't know where you're going, how do we know the way? And Jesus, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when we read that, we always don't complete it. Because there's something very particular that Jesus says at the end of that verse. For some of us, it's good news. For some of us, it isn't very good news. Because what Jesus said was, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except by me. And for a lot of people, that is difficult. Because we've had such a difficult relationship with our, earth, our earthly father. <clears throat> and Thomas's question inspires Philip. And Philip asks the bombshell question. Really a weird question in the midst of Jesus' discourse right here. He says, Lord, Show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. And Jesus says to him, Philip, have I been so long with you and you haven't seen the Father? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And there's something ingrained very deeply in us that we can't get away from. There is something in us, no matter how good or how bad our Father has been to us, there's something in us that we always want to be hugged by our Father. Now, I know a story of a young man, a young boy, who had a very difficult relationship with his father, really abusive. His father was an alcoholic. His father was very abusive when he began, <clears throat> when he got drunk, he would be very abusive to his son when this little boy was just in the crib, just a young boy, one day his father in a drunken stupor just picked him up and flung him across the room. And he grew up very insecure, very scared, very alone, didn't have many friends. And his mother divorced his father when he was real young, about six years old. 
She married another man who was even more abusive, not physically, but verbally. The only thing this young boy heard from his second father was, you're good for nothing. You're never going to amount to anything. I can, verbal abuse in many ways is much more devastating than physical abuse. And this young man grew up, <clears throat> 19 years old, he came to the Lord, the Lord began to <clears throat> heal him, work in his life. And what I'm talking to you about now is not something I read in a book or a testimony I heard. I am that young man. And I know God can heal that difficult relations of fatherhood. I don't think I've ever given the testimony of how I came to the Lord here at Living Word. So I'm going to take a second to give a brief <coughs> flash of how I came to know the Lord. I was in Minneapolis, I was <coughs> studying to be a medical laboratory technician, studying medicine. And I was staying in a rooming house and my roommate was from Guyana, South America. He was of uh, <coughs> Indian background, he was a Hindu. And at that time in Minneapolis, there was this Indian evangelist from India who went around to all the schools looking out for, looking for Hindu students to go and give his testimony to him. <clears throat> this Indian evangelist's name was Rama Bahara. His father, <coughs> was a Brahmin Hindu priest in India. And Rama was going to come to America to study nuclear physics at Columbia University. And his father told him, the last thing I want you to do when you come to America, when you go to America, is to become a Christian. So he came to America to study Columbia University, he was dead set on having nothing to do with Christianity. And of course, <laughs> when he got to Columbia University, as American Christians do, every, just about everybody he met was inviting him to church. And he was getting really angry. <clears throat> And one day he went back to his room at Columbia University, started to write a letter to his father in India, said, Father, I can't take it. Send the Hindus over here and kill all these Christians. And while he was writing this letter, a light shined in the room and knocked him on the floor. And he heard a voice that said, I'm Jesus the Christ, why do you persecute me? just like the Apostle Paul. And he came to visit my room, he actually came to see my roommate that night. And I just happened to be there and he gave us this testimony <clears throat> and both of us that night were touched by God, touched by the Spirit of God. We kneeled by our beds, we asked Christ into our lives <clears throat> and he gave us a Bible that night 
So the next day, when we went off to school, and along with our medical books, we brought the Bible. And at lunchtime, I, we used to sit down. <clears throat> Some of the students would gather around us. We'd open up, we didn't know a thing about the Bible. We opened up our Bible and start reading. And I was kind of the, uh, the ringleader of this, and <clears throat> so the principal of the school got wind of this, and he was a Jewish man, and he called me into his office, <clears throat> and he said, Larry, took out a piece of paper, wrote a triangle on the piece of paper, and he said, Larry, there's a place for, there's a place to study, there's a place for home, and there's a place for church. He said, you should either go, you should either study here or go to Bible school. So I did the only thing I could do. I went to Bible school. <laughs> I did finish my medical studies later on and I did work in a lab. Uh, <clears throat> but that was a, a changing point in my life. Uh, <clears throat> so now, Let's look at Luke and what Luke has to tell us. The Gospel of Luke is a very particular Gospel. I guess as all the Gospels are. But the Gospel of Luke, Luke has two purposes for writing his Gospel. The first purpose for Luke writing his Gospel, the things that Luke includes in his Gospel, Luke wrote the things in his Gospel because they were true. They actually happened. These are things that were true, they actually happened. The other reason that Luke <clears throat> wrote his gospel is that he wanted us to have an intimate, personal relationship with God through Christ. That's the purpose of his gospel. There's a lot of things he didn't include in his gospel that he could have, but the things that he included in his gospel were things that would help us to have an intimate relationship with God. Now these are two events early in the life of Jesus, one when he was 12 years old, the other when he was 30. And the first incident is very significant because the Bible says that Jesus was 12 years old. Now what's significant about that? The significance of that is that when a Hebrew young man became uh, turned 13, he took on adult responsibilities. So his 12th year would be a very important year. He would spend a lot of time with his father, a lot of instruction. His father would begin to apprentice him and what he was going to do in life. His father would also apprentice him in religious instructions. And here we have a situation where <clears throat> Jesus' family, like they did every year, went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Now, when a family went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, usually the entire village 
They went together, they traveled together. So it's not unusual that when the Passover was finished and they packed up and they started home, that Jesus' parents would assume that he was with them. And a day had gone by and they couldn't find him and they panicked. They went back to Jerusalem. They were looking for him. And where did they find him? They found him in the temple discussing with the priests and the elders at the temple. <clears throat> and Mary did something with a typical mother which she would do. She was very angry. And she, when she saw Jesus, she came bursting forth and said, Son, how could you do this to me? Your father and I have been anxious about you. And notice <clears throat> she really emphasizes your father. You know, when she says your father, you know, that gives her a little bit more authority. Said, boy, you have really, don't you know, this is the most important year of your life. This is the year where you should be spending time with your father. You should be listening to your father. You should be with him every moment. And Jesus answered her in a very strange way. He says, Mom, I am. Mom, I am. Because when Jesus was 12 years old, his real father, his heavenly father, began to speak to him. He began to reveal to Jesus his identity he began to reveal to Jesus what his mission in life was going to be. We're talking about Jesus as a, a human now. He began to reveal to Jesus what his mission was going to be, what his identity was going to be. And he said, Mom, I am with my father. I am listening to my father. And what Jesus was saying was Jesus was saying this, I have a relationship with God that no other human being ever had. I have a relationship with God that supersedes my relationship with you. And the amazing thing was that Jesus had this marvelous, uplifted, magnificent relation with God, and yet, verse 51 tells us, he turned home to them and obeyed them. So here we find in Jesus two attitudes which is absolutely almost impossible for you and mine to comprehend in one person. In one sense, there's this majesty. I have 
this relationship with God that nobody else ever had. And at the same time, a humility, he went back and obeyed them. No one would ever think that these two characteristics could be present in one person. The Jews, sometimes in the Jewish scriptures, mentions God. God is mentioned. But no Jewish person ever would ever, ever, ever say, God is my father. That did not exist. In fact, when Jesus said to the Pharisees, God is my father, they accused him of blasphemy. No one had a relationship like that with God, but Jesus did. So he goes back and he obeys him. So we find in Jesus this majesty, this upliftedness, and yet this humility. Then we go to the second event in Jesus' life when he's baptized. And Jesus goes to John and Jesus is baptized. And when Jesus is baptized, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes down upon him. And boy, is he really going to need it. There is nobody that ever went through the temptations that Jesus went through. There is nobody that ever had a back-breaking ministry like the ministry that Jesus would have, and he's really going to need the Holy Spirit. He's criticized, he suffers, he even ends up in torture and death. Nobody could have gone through that except by the power of the Holy Spirit. And a voice comes from heaven. And the voice of his father thunders from heaven. You are my beloved, you are my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Now every Jewish person who heard that would immediately understand what that voice was saying. We're not so, easy, we're not so quick to pick that up because we don't know the Bible as well as they did. <laughs> but what God is actually saying from heaven, you are my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. God is actually quoting scripture to Jesus. You are my son whom I love is a quote from Psalm 2. Psalm 2, God presents his son as the powerful Messiah who defeats evil, who rules the nations with a rod of iron. This is the figure we have of this is my son. And in that psalm, God says, this is my son, you are my son today, I have I begotten you. 
The other verse, in whom I am well pleased, comes from a totally different portion of scripture. In whom I am well pleased, you will be glad to know, comes from Isaiah. So I'm not completely abandoning Isaiah today. Comes from Isaiah 42. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. Now these are two completely different scriptures, two completely different aspects of prophecy. In the one, Jesus is the strong, powerful Messiah, and the other, he's the suffering servant. Now even this, two different aspects in the same person is really hard to believe. Now, what does this have to do with us? Anything? It has everything to do with us. Because <clears throat> what we have in sonship, there are three things that Jesus shows us here, or the scripture shows us here, about being a son. The three things are this, honor, access, and absolute security. Honor. Notice the voice from heaven says, does not say, this is my son. He says, you are my son. And what Jesus is saying to us is that what he experienced in his baptism, you are my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Every one of us can have that same relationship with God. Honor, you are my son. We really need to have the Holy Spirit in the profound recesses of my heart and of our hearts hammer that home into us. You are my son. What an honor. What an honor to be called the Son of God. There is no greater honor. If I'm the Son of God, what does it matter what people think of me? What does it matter? I don't have to bow to the expectations that people have of me. I don't have to worry about criticism. What does it matter if people criticize me? You, you are my son. And the Holy, what gave, when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism, what really gave him power to confront the rest of his whole life 
was the fact that the Holy Spirit illuminated the scriptures to his heart. And so he said, oh, that's it. That was his power. And that is our power. When the Holy Spirit comes and illuminates the scriptures to our heart, we get it. You are my son. No one can have a higher honor than that. We are honored children of God. And it's not only Jesus. Paul emphasizes this too in Romans 8. He says, we have not received the spirit of fear to fall back into fear again. But we have, spirit, we have received the spirit of adoption. We have received the spirit of sonship, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit testifies to our spirit that we are sons of God. Abba is not even a translatable word. It's not a Greek word. It's not an Aramaic word. It's a Mideastern word that children would say to their father. It means daddy. We do have an equivalent in Italian to this. Young children or children would say to their fathers, Babo. Babo is a very affectionate. It's a word to say. It's a way of saying daddy. Paul says, no, we have received sonship. We have received, received the spirit of sonship. And the Holy Spirit really needs to ingrain that into the profound recesses of our inner man, of our heart. We are sons of God. And Paul in Galatians even takes it further. Here comes where you ladies come in now. <laughs> Paul says, <clears throat> in Christ, there is neither uh, Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. Now in our day, modern man listening to that, he would say, oh, that's gender insensitive. Why did he say, why didn't he say sons and daughters? Why did he just say sons? It's not being gender, gender insensitive. This is an extreme, radical example of the grace of God. Women, what Paul is saying, women did not inherit. A son, when you were a son, your father would discipline you, he would teach you and what you were going to become in life. If you, if you were a magistrate, your son would become the magistrate after you. He didn't have to go out and get elected. That would just, that's part of his inheritance. He would get the inheritance. He would get the position. He would get the honor. He would get the money. He would get everything. But a woman did not inherit. And what Paul is saying, 
is that in Christ, both men and women inherit. We are sons of God, we are heirs of God, we are joint heirs with Christ. How incredible is that? We don't have to be afraid. <laughs> we don't have to be afraid of the metaphors that the Bible uses. We don't have to get angry at them. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> there's different metaphors that the Bible uses in this case. God uses the metaphor of sons to include both men and women. Another place we're all called brides. Another place we're all called sheep. So we need all that. You know what? <laughs> to be called a sheep is somewhat insulting. We lived for several years on the island of Sardinia. In Sardinia, there are more sheep than there are people. So we learned a lot about sheep when we were in Sardinia. And you know what? Sheep are the dumbest animals on the face of the earth. They are totally helpless. They <coughs> need a shepherd. If they are left alone, left alone, they're going to get in trouble. Now, we have this romanticized idea of what a sheep is. You know, we read Psalm 23 and say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And we see these green pastures and maybe a nice little stream flowing through and you see these little white sheeps, sheep and you want to just pick them up and hug them. You know what? The reality is sheep are not like that at all. Sheep are dirty. They fall into the mud. They get dirty. The shepherd is continually having to clean them. Shepherd has to continually uh, <clears throat> disinfect them from ticks and all the animals. Sheep cannot be left alone. And you know what? The craziest thing, now listen to this. The craziest thing is it's actually the sheep they're going to take over the world. Do you ever think about that? When I was a, a young person, I was an athlete, played sports. We played a lot of against a lot of different teams. We played against the Lions and the Tigers, the Titans, the Panthers. We never ever did play against a team called the Sheep. I don't know if any of you ever played against a team called the Sheep. I was speaking in the young people's camp, Bible camp one time along these lines. A little, girl, a little girl came up to me after the meeting. She said, well, we never played against a team called the Sheep, but my little sister's basketball team is called the Turtles. <laughs> but it's really not that, it's not that strange when we think that our leader is the lamb that was slain. It's not that strange. Jesus, who's the good shepherd, 
Jesus is the only shepherd that ever became a lamb. Honor. God has given us honor by making him, but by making us his sons and daughters. Access. Secondly, access. We have access into his presence. You are my son whom I love. Whom I love. We have direct access into the presence of God. We have access into the presence of our Father. What father is it that would get up at two o'clock in the morning to bring his son a glass of water? Little son wakes up two o'clock in the morning. Can I have a drink of water? And <clears throat> Would a friend do that? I doubt it. Would a spouse do that? Maybe. I know my spouse would. If I asked her for a glass of water at 2 o'clock in the morning, she would get up and give it to me. But to ask God, we have access into his presence. We can go into his presence. We don't need a letter of invitation. We can go in and put our hands around his neck and we can hug him because we have access to our Father. He has given us free access. Come boldly before his presence and make your requests known. We have that privilege as sons. You are my son and whom I am well pleased. And lastly, absolute safety. Absolute safety. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. <clears throat> you know what? <clears throat> Parental love is stranger than any other kind of love. Friendship love, if we have a friend, you know, we're really friends, and that friend begins to act up and be mean and abusive to us and reveal our secrets, friends, friendship love will come to an end. Romantic love can also come to an end. If we have our lover begins to act up and be mean to us and abusive to us, it can end. But parental love is different because <clears throat> when you're a parent and when your children begin to act up and be rebellious, parental love really kicks in. We love them even more when they act up and start going crazy. Why is that? Because we're, we are created in the image of God. 
And if we as parents love our children unconditionally, even when they begin to mess up, we who are flawed, how much more does our Heavenly Father love us who is not flawed? Someone said one time, when you begin to have children, you will only be as happy as your least happy child is. In Christ, we are absolutely safe. Now what was it about Jesus that God was pleased with? We read Isaiah 42, verse 1 said, I am pleased with my... What was he pleased with? He wasn't pleased with Jesus' performance. He wasn't pleased, you know, he's not pleased if we, you know, we go to worship every Sunday and we read our Bibles and we pray and we do all the things that we want him to do, that he wants us to do. That's not it. God was pleased with Jesus because in Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, 50, 53, all important passages, what God was pleased with was Jesus' sacrifice. And when we are sons, we are able to go into the presence of our God, but we are able to rejoice we're able also to suffer. To really comprehend what it means to be a son, we have to comprehend the sacrifice of Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I well pleased because of the sacrifice that he gave. In Psalm 2, He's the strong Messiah. In Isaiah, he is the suffering servant. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. And by his stripes, we are healed. In Christ, we are absolutely secure. I don't have to wonder what people think about me. I don't have to come to the end of my life because I'm criticized. I don't have to hit the panic button because things aren't going the way they should. I am absolutely secure in Christ. The only way that we can really grasp our inheritance as sons and daughters of Christ is to understand the sacrifice of Christ. Without that, we cannot be sons and daughters. There's a, a, a fantastic verse in Isaiah 49 where <coughs> 
Isaiah said, well, God says, if your mother, who weaned you, brought you into life, forgets you, I will not forget you. You are engraved on my hands. And I will be with you. Even uh, I will never abandon you. Even though your mother and your father abandoned you, I will not. You know, there's a great verse in the Bible that says, no, where Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Actually, in Greek, that's a five-time negative. What Jesus really said was, I will never, 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 never leave you. I will never, 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 never forsake you. That's security. We have this security because of what Christ has done for us. And what we really need to do, how can we really have this? We need to ask God to speak to our hearts. We need to ask God to reveal this to us. We need to ask God to reveal our sonship to him. And you know what? If we do ask him, he will reveal it. Shall we pray? <clears throat> Lord, we thank you that we are incredibly honored to be your sons. We thank you, Lord, for the honor, for the access, for the absolute security. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would really deeply ingrain this into each of our hearts, Lord, that we really cannot grasp the depth, the height, the broadness, the incredibility of what it is to be sons, to be your sons. You are my son in whom, whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Glory be to God. Amen. Oh. Oh.